Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of If I Only Knew. Today, I'm joined by my fantastic co-host, Fred. Fred, say hey. Hey, Matt. Thank you very much for joining me this week, because I want your professional opinion, Fred. I want to talk a bit about um, qualifications and what it means to be skilled in the workforce, and particularly to continue to skill yourself in the workforce. Now, I'm graduating uni this year, and I'm looking at joining the workforce, and i uh, I have been a bit disillusioned with uni uh, through my time. You know, I've learned some good things. It's been fun and it's been engaging and interesting enough. But I'm not convinced that most uni courses actually prepare me for work I'm going to be doing, right? Now, obviously, you guys work with a lot of psychs and occupational therapists. I'm guessing it's pretty clear there's a connection between those degrees and the work people do, right? Yeah, eventually. Yeah, cool. So, like, there's some vocational degrees at uni. I'm willing to accept that. But something like a, a diploma of business or even like a, a, a management uh, degree or something like that feels very wishy-washy. And, and I'd be sceptical if I were to go into the workforce for five years and then look to upskill myself. I'd be sceptical as to whether that would be the right choice to turn mm. to um, because I just don't have a great faith in the educational ability of a lot of these more wishy-washy courses at uni. But that's left me a little bit upset or a little bit sad, Fred, because I've always seen myself as someone who's, you know, wants to wants to make the best of themselves, wants to continue to learn more, wants to continue to be in a position to, to make the most of things. Um, and also, you know, I just think learning things is interesting and cool. And, and if I'm going to be doing a job, I want to do it well. I want to know how I'm doing it. And I also maybe want to see where I could go from there sort of thing. Um, yeah. So if uni's not the pathway to that, or at least doesn't feel like it's the pathway to that for me, Fred, from my time there, what is the pathway to upskill yourself as a, as a young professional or someone coming into the workforce or even, you know, someone who's been there for a while but is looking for something different. Obviously, mm. university qualifications give you this, like, prestige to start in a field or to switch to a new field or something like that. And obviously, there are some vocational uni degrees. But when we're talking more kind of general upskilling things like management or marketing or data analysis or that sort of thing... Um, I'm really not sure what the best option for me to turn to might be. Um, in our business, we offer in-house training. That seems like a great place to start. But like when you're looking at you know the people you work with, looking at like promoting people or looking at the kind of threads through the business of, of skilling and upskilling and continued growth, what are the kind of things you look for? I actually think this is really fascinating, Matt, because there's a... There's a huge, there's two psychology components to what you've talked about in my perspective. Mm. One is what I would call the idea of education fatigue. Right, yeah. And I think it's something that a lot of people experience towards the end of their uni degree <laughs> yeah, or okay. their TAFE degree, where they kind of have that existential moment of what is it all about? Mm. Bearing in mind that in our country in particular, a lot of people go down this path of vocational training, whether it be TAFE, trade, university, at a really young age comparatively. And I've said this on another podcast, I think the, the, the one of the most uh, difficult questions we ask of 17 and 18 year olds in this country is make a decision today that will impact on what you do for the rest of your yeah. life. Because at the age yeah. of 17, I had no clue. Um, my intuition was good enough to luck onto something that became my passion, which was psychology, but that was a little bit later on. Mm. The other side of this is the psychology that employers have around formal qualifications, because we're moving to a very real gig economy, a peace economy, where people are actually doing things that are more relevant in short courses than they are, for example, through uni degree. Mm. Um, 
Now, I want to just throw you back a little bit, Matt. I want to throw you back to a generation before mine. Excellent, yeah. Where that generation was probably the last of the generations that could walk into an employer and say, I'm 17, I know nothing, I want to be a journalist. Mm -hmm. And get a start in the mailroom as a, as, a, as a this and then a copy boy and then a, an assistant editor. Or they could walk into a law firm and they could study the job and then get qualified while they worked. Mm. Somewhere along the line, we decided that the quality of that training, that practical experiential training, was not as worthy as compiling all the theory and teaching you first. Mm. Mm. But now we're in an economy where, for example, in the IT space, it is not unusual for someone to say, I've got to pick up a new skill. You understand this world much better than me, Matt. Mm -hmm. I need to understand how to program in C++. Mm -hmm. And I'll do a three-day online course to master the idiosyncrasies of 3++, C++. Mm. C++ is probably as old as the Model T Ford when it comes to computer <laughs> language at the moment. Listeners, don't listen to me. Uh -huh. But there is this idea of what they call micro-qualifications. Right, right, yeah. And, and they're very much about you've got a base understanding and then you go out and seek specific skill sets that are relevant for the here and now, hmm. knowing that they may become obsolete in a year or two's time. Hmm. And you've got the capacity then to just micro-skill and whatever else is new. And we're seeing this with technology. We're seeing it with things like graphic design, you know, products like Canva keep changing the landscape of things like marketing, mm. where they're democratizing creativity to a point where almost anybody can learn it and do it. I think you told me a little bit about a YouTube course in Excel that mm. you did. Mm. Mm. So I think our traditional understanding of education is mm. colliding with your education fatigue. Mm. Mm. And there's this kind of shift. What I think is really funny is the way that universities are trying to combat it. And for right. example, now universities are doing this thing about design your own degree. Mm, right, yeah. You know, you can go in and you can pick up stuff across faculties and you can come out with a degree. Um, I reckon that's a really great idea if you've already been working and then you want to do something. Mm. But there's a lot to be said for the really practical, tangible education. So I'll give you an example. Uh, we often work and I often get somebody that comes in the office. It's a really good handyman. Mm. And he really understands woodwork quite well, enough that he can put up cabinets and shelves. Mm. Mm. When I asked him once if he could build a gate for me at home, mm. he said, no, that's a job for a carpenter. So he knows the limits of his ability. Interesting. That's very interesting. So there's there's a threshold there where to me he's he looks almost as good as a carpenter, but he knows the difference. Now I know some really good carpenters, and they would say to you that they struggle to read at a year nine level on, haven't read a book since they left school. Mm, mm. But their education mm. is very much about what they're practically, physically doing and touching. Mm, mm, mm. So Matt, I think it's a really fascinating discussion about how society views the value of education 
versus you as a consumer ingesting education and going, this hasn't taught me what I thought I was going to get. And I think that's what I wanted. Yeah, exactly. To talk to you about, Fred, as someone who works with people in a business, right? Because to me, I've, I've, you know, I've not done particularly management focused courses or anything like that, or particularly business focused courses, but, uh, I've done some electives around economics and business and, and organization and stuff. Um, but I'm not certain that a degree like management at Monash yep. would actually be all that useful uh, in, in, in the office space. Um, yeah. and, and, and I think there's, there's, to me, there's this vestigial prestige that uni certainly has because it's, it's always been the place for that kind of tertiary expertise um, that kind of passes on to people. Um, and I'm not sure exactly why that's changed. I'm not sure if the quality of university has gotten worse. And so people, or at least the, the, the study we do isn't quite as valuable to us. I'm not sure whether our expectations of it have gotten higher or whether perhaps the working world has just gotten a bit more complex. Um, because I think I think I, I come back to this idea that there are vocational uni degrees that I feel confident are of value um, because like they directly contribute to the, the field. And even something like law, which which is, is reasonably, I guess, like philosophical or broad, um, is, is clearly connected to the study of being a lawyer or a lot of law adjacent um, jobs. But I feel as if a lot of the, the things that we want people to be skilled in or that we, that we uh, seem to value things like management or, or organization or, or business work um, are things that are very hard to teach in a classroom. Um, yeah. But we still need people to get better at them and people still kind of have this kind of um, attraction to, to learning more about them. And so I'm not sure I'd want to do a, a, a part-time uh, diploma in management or something like that, but I would want to get more skilled. Um, I know I mentioned that we do training kind of in house a little bit here, Fred. What what does that look like in terms of like? Do you think that's a uh, an excellent way for people to upskill themselves? Like, do you look favorably upon that if people have been engaged with that in, in the business? Like, is it about finding the specific things you need to work on? Um, obviously. We're biased, of course. I'm going to think there's a value to it, but but like specifically, is that is that like a, a response to or a stand-in for maybe this this uncertainty about the value of, of other kinds of trainings or what is this? This is a fascinating question. I, I, let me let me pose it to you in a different way. Mm. I think in the workforce, your university degree or your trade qualification is your ticket to the table. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I believe it's the start of the journey. Mm not the conclusion. Mm. It's the mm. ticket of admission. And the second that your university degree finishes or your trade certificate finishes, you are then out in the world saying, I can do this. Mm. And as an employer, it's from that point that I'm interested. Mm. Mm. So I have worked with and hired some fascinating people in roles that had no formal qualifications. Mm. Mm. I have worked with people that have come to their qualifications later in life. And I'm not going to lie, Matt, um, in thinking about this issue, one of the things I've realized is I do tend to, as an employer, I want to know that people finished university in the allotted time. Mm, right. Yep. Yep. And if not, why not? Mm. Um, I want to see that they've done something interesting when they've been at university, like, for example, a travel tour to India. Right, you know? right, right. I want to see that they're not just sitting in a classroom. What I want to see when, when I hire people into a health profession is that were they smart enough to find a way into industry 
before their degree ended. Mm, mm, mm. So were they working in a medical center as an orderly in a hospital? Because that shows me that they've, they've explored and experimented with the field that they're devoting themselves to. Yeah, cool, cool. The stuff I would probably be aware of, and, and people say to me, do you look at where people come, what university people come from? Um, and I, I must admit, because I'm not what I would consider to be an academic elitist, I probably don't. Mm -hmm. um, I love at the moment, and this is a different element to this discussion, one of the things I love at the moment is that we have a whole heap of people that we're hiring into our business from the UK and South America. Right. Now, I know that the South American tradition for my field, psychology, is really strong and the training is exceptional. Mm, interesting. Then they, then they come to Australia and have to jump through a whole heap of hoops to justify that their standard of education meets our standard. Mm. There's an implied difference. In South America, they still really enjoy the psychodynamic tradition, so some of that Freudian and Neo-Freudian stuff, right. which we sort of set aside in favour of more technical and evidence-based approaches, although psychodynamic is evidence-based in its approach. Yeah. But what it means for me is I know that they're probably, on the counselling and therapy side, probably quite accomplished if they've gotten to a point where they can be recognised as a psychologist here. Mm. So rather than kind of assume the quality of their university, I'm, I'm able to look at their quality of their training and say, there's a lot there that we like. Mm. The way that we then augment that to de-risk a new hire, and by the way, when everybody yeah. starts a job, it's a toss of a coin, right? Yeah, that's so interesting. Mm. It's a 50-50 regardless of all of this stuff in mm. my opinion, and people mm. have to remember that. Mm. Um, the way that we de-risk that hire is we teach them our methodology. Interesting, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we know it's good because unscrupulous uh, competitors to us in industry target our staff because of how well-trained they are. <laughs> That's a good and sign. And if any of those unscrupulous competitors are listening, I know who you are, I know where you live. <laughs> um, but the reality for me is I think we're moving into a world where in 10 years' time, we might be talking about how you built your qualification mm. rather than the course that you did. Mm, mm, mm. And I'm going to ask you a question, Matt. When, if you did international business by traveling to India for a period of time, mm. should that get you better standing mm. than someone that did the same course but never left the university campus? That's an interesting one, Fred. That's a very interesting one. I suppose, like, my first instinct says that if the degree, if the stuff you're learning is the same, it should be no different. But um, I suspect that's a bit too simplistic because the desire to put yourself out there, to challenge yourself a bit further, to, to deal with being away from home, perhaps, or to deal with um, having to look after yourself in a more difficult environment would surely be something that uh, is, is worthy of recognition. So, yeah, look, I, I suspect that um, there, there would be reason to view maybe more intrepid or more out there um, ways of studying as being more valuable and more important, especially if there's like an exp explicitly overseas or international component to your degree. Doing some of that overseas seems like it would be uh, a, an essential benefit. Yeah. Well, I'm of the belief that, so for example, when I see somebody that's traveled to Australia from say Brazil, for mm, example, mm. which is a non-English speaking country, mm that there's a lot of credit I give somebody that in their 20s can pack a bag, yeah, yeah. a passport, and punt on the idea that they can go somewhere, mm. navigate a new culture, 
set themselves up, find a friend group, find supports. And I have to tell you, Matt, there is, as an employer, while the education is the ticket to the party, it's those other things around it that really fascinate me mm. because they show resilience, they show initiative, they show problem solving, and they show what I like to call real real life scar tissue. Yeah, right. Um, you know, I, I live in a world where I want to know that somebody had to navigate getting qualified while they had to feed their family. Mm-hmm. Because it means that they've got some empathy and some understanding. Mm. I really like the way that you've gone about your education because I remember meeting you before you started university Mm. and where most people would have sat through and just done the university thing, you've added seven or eight different elements to it. You know, Mm. the social social components and community engagement, Mm. um, this podcast, for example, where Mm. you helped me to understand life. I I think... (laughs) I think a really smart employer mm. looks at a lot of elements. So one of the things that I think that that has, you know, if we're looking at this disillusionment of yours, Matt, is the idea that universities become a bit of an academic echo chamber. Mm-hmm. And unlike a trade where you're actually doing study and then practicing those skills as you go, yeah. university is actually contained it was very easy to get caught up in an echo chamber, if that's what you know. I think the best thing universities have done in the last two decades is to link commercial endeavours to study. Mm. So things like clinics that yeah. treat anxiety and depression for psychology, um, you know, the, the professional hospitality skills that are linked to universities at the moment, mm. um, those activities that parallel work Mm. Uh, for certain degrees the Mm. fact that if you're doing medicine you are working with people for sure for sure now in a university hospital but there are some degrees and i think management's a good example of that where it's all theory and no real world exposure Mm. Mm. one thing i wouldn't do is have somebody come in and say uh, they're applying for say a middle management role and they say here's my degree and um I worked really hard. I got high distinctions all the way through. I'm 23 years old and I'm ready to run your business. Yes, yes, yes. And I'd say, that's fantastic. I'll start you in the call center team Mm. Mm. and uh, you can work your way up from there and we'll talk about it in a decade. But I have to say, Matt, when I was your age and I had those kind of conversations, I was hugely offended by people saying, you've got to start at the bottom. (laughs) Yeah, and I I could feel some of that, yeah. Yeah. Like, how dare you? I've just graduated from a prestigious university. Mm -hmm. The reality is I only started learning my trade literally after, and psychology is really good because they put you through an apprenticeship. Yeah, yeah. Right now, the universities in psychology talk a lot about the need of the clinician, Mm -hmm. whereas realistically, um, psychology is all about the need of the client. Interesting. So do you reckon, Fred, if, if, sorry to interrupt, do you reckon then if, if you're talking about these other things that are appealing in like, uh, getting people employed, be that like, um, unusual life circumstances or different experiences or, or whatnot. And then the fact that we also have to, uh, continue to like maybe start at the bottom because it is a ticket in rather than not. Like if I'm wanting to get more skilled, more, more, um, connected to a business or or more capable or, or appealing, does that mean I travel more? Does that mean I do things almost for myself rather than just like um, attach myself to an institution like a university and, and accrue three or four diplomas or something? Like, is that do you, do you reckon that's just as valuable or has a place itself? 
Two schools of thought on that, Matt. Mm. One that says, I have some regret for not doing more academic pursuits while I was younger and before I had responsibility. Yeah, okay, yeah. The second is I enjoyed study more when I was actually working and had the means and capacity to learn for the sake of learning, mm. not learning for the sake of needing to get a vocation. Mm, right. Um, and I'll give a third example to that. Somebody very close to you and I that we know, may may or may not go by the name Dr. Kylie, <laughs> will always give preference to a candidate that has an elite sports background. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Partly to talk about and to share war stories about um, broken bones. Yeah, yeah. Injuries, um, which... You know, something pathological about that. But <laughs> the reality for me is that from a frame of reference, it's another example of how people, despite their ticket to the party, have sought to excel and achieve. Mm, 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 mm. And one of the things I'd say is if if the, the initial study is the ticket to the party, then what are the other elements that you add in that show an employer that you are everything they're looking for? You're a problem solver, you're adaptable. Mm. Um, I, I love the idea of people that study abroad for a period of time. Mm. I like the, the idea of people that take a year off and tend bar in some, you know, Amsterdam coffee shop. Mm. Um, mm. I, it used to be a rite of passage for people your age, Matt, to go to the UK for a year and, and yeah. you know, two years and live in a hostel and, you know, um, get scabies from bad mattresses <laughs> and, <laughs> And, you know, uh, you know, 10 bar or whatever else mm, it is. So yeah. I think that there is a lot that employers look for in regard to um, diversifying away from just a traditional education. Yeah. Cool. And if you're disillusioned with that, then maybe what you said is true. Maybe you need to plan out how you find some joy to combat your university or your education fatigue mm, in a way that's going to build skills that are valuable in the real world. Mm, mm, mm. That's fantastic. Thank you very much for it. I, I think that I wouldn't have thought of that more kind of, I guess, broader characterization of oneself as explicitly upskilling or training. Like I say, I've always thought there's a value that it's important to be a, a, a holistic person in the office and not just a drone or something. But the idea that those, those other spaces you excel in could be kind of comparable to other kinds of qualifications seems like a reasonable antidote to my concern that uh, that maybe university by itself singularly um, may not be the the be all and end all of, of continuing to skill yourself and look once you once you're working it's the it's the guys and girls that um, have lived a bit that make the best colleagues mm, mm, yeah you know? yeah Awesome. They're the ones that take you to the Nepalese restaurant for the first time. They're the ones that, you know, expose you to Korean barbecue or foreign mm. film. And Oof. they become great, great teachers, you know. They, they really are because their worldview is just that bit broader. And mm. that's why I think, you know, they get a bit of, they get to the front of the queue a bit sometimes. Mm. Mm. But I will say this in closing, um, successful people always find a way, whether it's formal training uh, or the opposite. And for those of you out there that are academically proficient but wouldn't know how to pay your phone bill, that's going to hurt you more mm, mm. than your GPA is going to help you. 
Awesome. Well, thank you, Fred, for that insight. I, uh, I've been a little bit unsure. I think education fatigue, I definitely am feeling that. I'm hoping some of it goes away, but I also don't want to fall into the trap of like, university is prestigious. I should just do more of that, even though I've learned that maybe some of the things that we get taught there are a bit too theoretical and not quite so useful. So thanks for offering some different thoughts and some other ideas. Thanks very much, listeners. And uh, thanks very much, Fred. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to you next week. See you, listeners, and tune in next week for If I Only Knew. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a Better Pod Group production, with special thanks to our researcher, Nicola Binks, executive producer, Matt Blanche, the providers of our theme song, with credits that are in our bio, and, of course, you, the listener. It's important to remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Whilst there are therapeutic themes discussed, in no way is this podcast considered treatment, and in the event you're in a psychological emergency, please reach out in whatever way you can through 000 or Lifeline 13 11 14. It's important to remember that the discussion is for entertainment purposes and the opinions voiced by podcast hosts are theirs and theirs alone. Any reference to copyright or copywritten material is, of course, the copyright of the copyright owner and or relevant corporate entities. Thank you for listening to Bed Pod Group Productions and tune in to some of our other excellent pod productions on this network.